Uh, can I be, begin, please, by taking you back in time to 1963, which I appreciate is uh, uh, before some who are listening tonight were even born. But it was the 28th of August 1963 particularly. Um, some 250,000 civil rights supporters uh, descended on Washington, uh, mostly from the southern states of Alabama, Tennessee and Mississippi. It was the culminating part of their march uh, to the American capital, a march for jobs, a march for freedom. And they gathered there that day on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, eagerly anticipating a speech which was to be made by the civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A speech which was expected to call for civil and economic rights and an end to racism in the United States. And what has been described as a defining moment in the civil rights movement, the speech which they listened to that day uh, is perhaps one of the most iconic in American history. And in fact, it was voted by scholars in 1999 as the most important speech of the whole of the 20th century. Because to, towards the end of his speech, uh, Dr. King left his carefully prepared text and improvised on this theme of I have a dream. And he was encouraged to do this by a lady in his audience named Mahalia Jack Jackson, um, an American gospel singer and civil rights activist. Tell them about the dream, Martin, she shouted out to him. And this is, this is part of what he said that day, which so excited and energized his audience. I have a dream, he said, that, that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that all men are created equal. I have a dream uh, that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day in Alabama, little black boys and girls will be able to hold hands with little white boys and girls as equals, as sisters and brothers. I have a dream. And I'm sure you'd agree with me that those were very fine sentiments. But if we skip forward some 57 years now, since that famous speech was delivered, what are conditions like today in Martin Luther King's country? Well, undoubtedly, improvements have been made over the years, but the nation is still, in some ways, even today, very divided politically, socially, certainly economically. Prejudice and hatred still rear their ugly heads from time to time. Inequality is still very evident in every walk of life. And even the, uh, the country's president was accused, was he not, um, last year of uh, inciting racial hatred, of, uh, of having racial, racial prejudice. And what is true for America is also undoubtedly true for our own country and for many other countries around the world. Because no matter how good the intentions of Dr. King might have been back in 1963, no matter how good the intentions of similarly like-minded men and women today may be, they have no real control over what actually happens in our world. They cannot predict the future with any certainty whatsoever. Because, as the Bible tells us, in no uncertain terms, man is just not in control of his own destiny. We're reading God's word given through the prophet Jeremiah. I won't ask you to turn to it. The way of man is not in himself. 
It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Now, I have nothing in common with Dr. Luther King other than that we share the same first name. And I suppose we're equally bound by the restraints placed upon us by our human natures, living under the constant shadow of our mortality. In fact, Dr. King was assassinated in 1968, just five short years after his famous speech was given, shot down in Memphis, Tennessee by a man called James Earl Ray. He died at the relatively young age of 39, with so many of his dreams unfulfilled, so many of his sincerest wishes for his countrymen unrealized. Oh, there is something else that I share with this man, ladies and gentlemen. For I, can I tell you this evening that, that I too have a dream? Now, I'm no great visionary or civil rights spokesman like my namesake was. And my dream, my vision, it isn't something that I've dreamt up personally. It isn't something I've visualized in my imagination. Now, my dream is based entirely, yet confidently, on what I know from my careful and prayerful reading of the Word of God, the Bible. It's a dream and a vision shared by every other Christadelphian listening in this evening. So it's not my dream. It's not my vision at all. It's the Almighty's revelation to all mankind of what he, the supreme and powerful creator of the heavens and the earth, what he has in store for us, if we will only listen to him and believe in his promises, which are contained in his word, the Bible. We're told in the Bible that if people have to go through their relatively short adult lives without a realistic vision for the future, then they are destined to die without hope. And the Bible also tells us that God will do nothing unless he first of all reveals what he's going to do to his servants, the prophets. So that's exactly what we have in the Bible, in God's word. It's his message for us a totally realistic message which gives each one of us a sure and certain hope for the future in what would otherwise be a very uncertain world, a world even without hope. Now we're going to be quoting several verses to you this evening, even sections of the word, and we haven't got time to turn them all up. Uh, I have prepared a list of all the quotations that I'm going to be using tonight, and if anyone would like a copy of that list, uh, then just get in touch with us, and I'm sure we can arrange to, for that to be sent to you. And it, it would be a good idea, actually, if you could look at all the quotations later at your leisure, just to make sure that I haven't misquoted or misapplied any of God's inspired words to us, uh, his words about our future and about the future of the world. So then, ladies and gentlemen, young people, I too have a dream. I have a dream that one day there will no longer be hunger, starvation, infant mortality, and desperate grinding poverty in this world. We read in the book of Amos that the days will come, says God, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, when the treader of grapes will overtake the one who is sowing the seed that sweet wine will be produced from vines grown on even the top of the highest mountains. The earth will become so fruitful that it will be able to produce not one, but multiple harvests every year, even in formerly uncultivatable places like deserts and mountain ranges. 
Think, for example, of the amount of grain which could be grown in the vast Sahara Desert if that desert became watered and fruitful. Well, it would be more than enough to feed the hungry millions in Africa and in other parts of the world also. In Psalm 72, we read that there will be just one handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains, but the fruit that it produces will be so abundant, so luxuriant that it will shake shake like Lebanon, and Lebanon was an area famous in Bible times for its fertility. You might have heard of its towering cedar and cypress trees. In Isaiah chapter 35, we read that the wilderness and the solitary place of the desert will blossom, blossom like a rose, and not just blossom, but blossom abundantly. And the people who benefit from this bounty will rejoice. They will rejoice with joy and singing. Yes, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day there will no longer be injustice and inequality in the earth, but fairness and equitable judgments for the benefit of the poor and the needy, not for the benefit of the rich and the powerful, and those able to hire expensive lawyers, as is so often the case today. In Isaiah chapter 11, we read of that time when the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, no less, will sit upon David's throne in Jerusalem, ruling over not just Israel, but over the whole earth. That God's power will reside in him and will give him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding uh, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of divine knowledge, which will enable him to rule wisely on his father's behalf. And this spirit power will give him a quick understanding of what his father requires. It will give him an insight which is so sadly lacking in today's judges and politicians, no matter how well-intentioned they might be. For we're told of him at that time that he will not judge solely on the evidence of his eyes. He will not administer justice solely on the words that he hears. No, he will never be hoodwinked by those who come before him for judgment. For he will know the true intents and purposes of their hearts. And he will judge them righteously, as we say, for the benefit of the poor. He will reprove with equity, with divine fairness, for the benefit of the meek and lowly. He will hand out righteous judgments, but only on those whose actions deserve them, uh, the ungodly and the wicked. Again, in Psalm 72, we read that Jesus, the Son of God, the King in God's coming kingdom upon this earth, will judge the poor with righteousness. In other words, he will judge according to God's righteous standards, God's right wayness, not, not man's current flawed, unfair, often immoral rules and regulations. He will make judgments on behalf of the poor. He will administer fair and equitable justice based upon his father's perfect standard of acceptable behaviour. We read that he will save the children of the needy and break in pieces those who unfairly oppress them. Yes, he will truly help those who have no one else to help them in the world. And there are so many people like that, are there not, today? Yes, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day there will no longer be widespread terrorism, crime, inhumanity upon the earth. 
but that everyone will be able to live their lives in peace and safety. There will be no need for locks and bolts and security systems. In the prophecy given by God to his servant Micah, we read that they, the ordinary people, will sit, every man under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one, no one will make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And that speaks of a time when men and women will no longer live in overcrowded cities, which always seem to bring out the very worst in human nature, but there will be a return to the land and to agriculture, that families will be able to grow their own healthy food instead of having to buy often unhealthy food products from, from, from supermarkets. So obesity, diabetes, heart disease, stress, other food and life-related health issues will soon become a thing of the past. Yes, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day there will no longer be wars and fighting and sectarianism in this world, but that all men and, wo and women will be able to live in peace and will be truly equal. We've heard a lot recently, haven't we, about equality. Last year we had the Me Too movement, uh, and now we've got the Black Lives Matter too. But in the kingdom age, there will be real equality. In that same chapter in Micah's prophecy, we read that the Lord Jesus Christ, reigning on his father's behalf, will judge among many people. He will rebuke or subdue even strong nations afar off from a distance. That all weapons and implements of death and destruction, even nuclear weapons, will be finally and completely decommissioned. For as the Bible puts it, men will be made to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Yes, that's poetic language, but surely it's describing the way in which all the time, money and effort, which is put now into producing weapons of war, that, so that same time and money and effort will be made into making instruments of agriculture instead. Nation will never again lift up a sword, will never go to war against another nation. Neither will they learn about war anymore. So all those military academies and training schools will be closed down for good. Yes, I have a dream. I have a dream that in God's wonderful kingdom, even the relationship between humans and the animals will completely change that individual animal species will change their very nature. No longer will there be a food chain which lo with larger carnivorous beasts, including humans, devouring smaller animals. No longer will mankind exploit and hunt animals for their own selfish reasons or so-called sporting enjoyments. There will be no bounty hunters or poachers in God's kingdom. For all life on earth, human and animal, will be able to live together in peaceful coexistence. You know what? I like to think that even some extinct species might be brought back to life. We read in the 11th chapter of Isaiah's prophecy that at that time, a wolf will be able to live alongside a young lamb. A leopard will lie down next to a young goat. And a lion, the king of beasts, will be with young cattle, their normal prey. 
and a little child will be able to lead them uh, like little puppy dogs on a lead in total safety. Herbivores and carnivores will feed alongside each other, not on each other, with a lion eating straw, eating grass like an ox. We read of a time where their calves and cubs will play together and then exhausted lie down and sleep uh, together. That very young children, some only just old enough to walk, will be able to play near the nests of previous, previously deadly venomous snakes and will not suffer any hurt. They will not be harmed or injured in any way. And that will be the rule throughout the whole of God's kingdom. Can you imagine that, ladies and gentlemen, being able to interact with these magnificent animals of God's creation without any fears, without any reservations? It almost beggars the imagination, but excites the senses at the same time. Yes, I have a dream. I have a dream that no longer will people turn their backs on God and on his word as they do today. They will no longer disregard or sneer at his wonderful offer of salvation, freedom from the threat of sin and death, but that everyone on the earth will want to know God and worship him in the right way. In Jeremiah's prophecy, we read that at that time, men will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and men and women from all nations will be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither will they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In Isaiah again, we read that it will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and people from all nations will flow unto it. They will go up and say, come on, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Israel. And he will teach us of, of his ways, not man's ways. And we will walk in, in his path, not in our own. For the law of God will go out from Mount Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The earth will then be as full of the knowledge of God as the oceans are full of water. For the Almighty's ultimate plan of everyone knowing and willingly obeying him, from the smallest child to the oldest man or woman, that plan will be put successfully into action. Yes, I have a dream. I dream of a time when men and women and children will no longer suffer from physical, life-restricting or life-limiting disabilities, that there will be real, lasting, totally effective cures for all those suffering from conditions which even today's most advanced medical science just cannot help. For we read in the prophecy of Isaiah again, strengthen the weak hands, steady the knees that are about to give way, say to those people who are fearful, be strong, do not be afraid, for God is coming to save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, both literally and spiritually. The paralyzed man will leap like a deer. And the dumb will shout for joy. Can you imagine the thrill, the satisfaction, as one of Jesus's immortal helpers in the kingdom age, of being able to restore the sight of a man who has never seen any of the wonders of God's colourful creation? 
of being able to restore hearing or give hearing to a deaf woman who has never even heard sweet bird song or being able to mend the twisted limbs of a child who all their life has been confined to a wheelchair or releasing forever from their prison those suffering mental or psychological problems. Jesus' disciples were able to do these wonderful, miraculous things during his ministry, weren't they, 2,000 years ago? You remember how excited they were. Can you imagine being able to achieve those miraculous cures? Well, that's real job satisfaction for you, if ever there was any. And as we say, you could experience it. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I even have a dream that, that one day, perhaps in the far future, that one day when the Lord Jesus Christ has been in charge for a thousand years, no less, when all of the world's many man-made problems have finally been resolved, when all of his father's enemies have been destroyed, at a time when the earth is full of men and women who love God and want only to obey and please him, instead of just pleasing themselves, that one day, even sin and death, the scourges of mankind from the very beginning of human history, even sin and death itself will be overcome and abolished. There are some truly memorable, awe-inspiring words in the last but one chapter of the Bible, the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, which look forward to this time, the ultimate, this time of the culmination of the Almighty's plan and purpose with this earth and with us, with mankind upon it. We read there, behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God will be with man. And he, the great God of creation, will dwell with them. God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, for then there will be no more sin. There will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither will there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. It was the Apostle Paul, wasn't it, writing under divine inspiration to uh, believers in ancient Corinth, the 15th chapter of his first epistle. Uh, it says that uh, then will come the end, and we're talking here at the end of that thousand-year period. Then will come the end when he, Jesus, will deliver up, deliver up the kingdom to God, his Father. But only after he, the Lord Jesus, has overcome all of man's misrule and authority and power. For we read that Jesus must reign until God has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed, as we said, is death itself. And death can only be destroyed for good when there is no more sin or disobedience of God's commands in the world. And that day will come. If we could perhaps deliberately and yet unashamedly misquote the words of a popular song, a thousand years is what it's going to take. A thousand years for the world that God's going to make. But a thousand years is an awfully long time isn't it? In our own country's history, it would take us back before the time of the Norman Conquest. It's a time beyond perhaps even our own imagining. But the start of that 1,000 year period may be very close now. Events in the world, particularly in the Middle East, involving God's mostly reluctant people, Israel, 
events there, even as we sit here or even as we listen this evening, events there surely shout out loudly that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to begin to put all of these changes into, into place, that return is very soon now. You certainly won't have a thousand years to decide to commit yourself to following God by being baptized into the saving name of his son. If you haven't done so already, you might not have a thousand days or even a thousand hours because events can unfold very rapidly. One possible scenario that you might wake up to one day very soon now is to hear the news that Israel fearing nuclear attack from its inveterate enemy Iran. Israel has made a preemptive strike and taken out most or all of its enemy's nuclear sites and capabilities. That will bring about that will bring about a Middle East war. It will inevitably have repercussions involving the USA and Russia, leading to perhaps to World War Three, which will, we know, be cataclysmic in its effects. But you know, you can't even wait for that to happen because by then the Lord Jesus Christ may be back upon the earth and the day of opportunity for responding to the call of the gospel will be gone. We read that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth at that time. Surely talking about those tears of frustration, the deepest regret of those who've missed the boat, so to speak. How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so foolish? Please don't make that mistake. Don't let that happen to you. Now, there was a part of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech that I didn't quote earlier. He actually quoted those words from Isaiah chapter 40, which, uh, which we had read for us earlier. Speaking originally, of course, those verses about the coming of John the Baptist, sent to prepare the way for Jesus' first coming, his first ministry, surely they also look forward to his second coming, to the establishment of that wonderful kingdom upon the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Um, we will close with those same words. Martin Luther King says, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley will be exalted and every mountain and hill will be made low, that the crooked will be made straight and the rough places smooth. And isn't that talking about the way in which all opposition to Christ's rule will be overcome? And the word of God goes on to say those verses that we've just quoted. The glory of God will be revealed and all mankind will see it at the same time. And it will happen for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Yes, he has said it will happen and happen it will. His word has gone forth. It will accomplish that whereunto he has sent it. It will not return unto him void without achieving his wishes. And those are some words spoken again through the prophet uh, Isaiah, this time in chapter 55. But back to chapter 40 in the concluding verses of that chapter, uh, beginning, I think it was at verse uh, 28. Haven't you realised, hasn't it been told you, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of all the earth, he doesn't grow faint or grow tired. No one can truly understand or appreciate his wisdom or his understanding or his power. He's the one who, who gives power to those who are faint. 
He's the one who will give unending strength and immortality to those who are his. Even young men, humanly speaking, eventually grow faint and weary. And if reliant on purely human strength, they will all grow falter. Uh, they will falter and grow weak. But it will be so different, so different for those who are waiting patiently for Christ's return or for those who are resurrected and found acceptable at the judgment seat. It will be so very different for them. And that's irrespective of their age or physical strength now. For they, we read, his chosen, his saints, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength on a daily basis. They will mount up as with wings, not like angels, but like eagles. And that word translated wings literally means beams of power. They will rise up with beams of power. Also, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Just ima imagine that, ladies and gentlemen, never growing tired, never growing weary, even being able to soar up into the heavens, hovering there like a great bird with undimmed vision, with unlimited divine power coursing through your re-energized bodies. God's kingdom upon this earth will truly be the greatest show in the history of the world, and then some, beyond even our wildest imaginings. And you can be part of it if you do just use something now. Seize upon the opportunity being offered you to you today, because as we say, tomorrow might be too late. We read that I hath not seen nor ear heard, it hasn't even entered into the hearts of men the things which the Almighty has prepared for those who truly love him and the return of his son. But we are given little inklings of what it will be like in his word. He who believes and is baptised will be saved, saved from sin, saved from death. For the wages of sin is death, yes, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life but only through faith, only through belief, and by association, by baptism, uh, into the power of Christ's sacrifice. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have a dream. It's a dream certain of being fulfilled because the Almighty has decreed it, and it's all here in God's word for us. If we will only read it, if we will only believe it. And this can become your dream too, if you want it to be. You might say, that we're all dreamers but we know the bible's true will you be there and sharing all these glories well the answer's up to you yeah, thank you for listening mm -hmm.